This podcast is made possible through donations from listeners like you and our partners at Tallman Equipment. Tallman Equipment prides itself in having more linemen tools in stock than anyone else. And now, when you're shopping online at tallmanequipment.com, look for the truck logo that says Fast Ship on hundreds of items on their website. That logo means that item is in stock and ready to ship the same day in most cases. When it comes to getting the tools and equipment linemen need, trust Tallman. Line 11 Clothing Company, making apparel for our first responders with a positive message to patriots that you can be proud of. The proceed of the cost goes to helping our foundation ignite the fire for father engagement. Give them a follow at Line 11 Clothing on Instagram. And finally, Monzingo Knives. Each knife is created with craftsmanship that only a tradesman could provide. Find them on Instagram at Monzingo Knives and get your American-made Monzingo knife today. Welcome to the Show Up Dad podcast, where our mission is to improve the well-being of children by increasing the proportion of children growing up with an involved, responsible, and committed dad. The Show Up Dad Foundation, Inc. is a 5013C organization that encourages dads to become more than just a paycheck. Today's guest is Brian Anderson. He is a husband, a father, co-founder, and executive director for Fathering Together, a nonprofit empowering dads to be agents for positive change. He has eight years under his belt with fatherhood and over 15 years with servant leadership. Today, Brian wants to share his message with people and encourage them on their journey of growth. Welcome to the show, brother. Hey, thanks for having me. I'm really excited to talk with you. Absolutely. Like always, brother, I want to just kind of open up and ask you the question, bro. How was your father growing up, man? You know, I I was very blessed to have a dad who already kind of knew that fatherhood needed to change and he sacrificed a lot of his career and his ambition to be present to my sister and I. I have so many memories of him coming home to make sure that we had dinner being made. He would, he would go in early. He would, you know, take time off to be at our little league games at our different activities, whether that was, you know, church youth groups or, you know, Boy Scouts pack leader. Like he just was, always there. And there's plenty of reasons for me to uh, need therapy, but uh, Mm -hmm. his lack of involvement is not necessarily one of them. And a lot of his story I I put into my most recent book, Fathering Together, Living a Connected Dad Life, because he really role modeled what it means to be a connected dad and Mm -hmm. to be, to be not there, not just as, as you know, you say in the, the show here, he wasn't just a paycheck. He wanted to make sure that we were engaged in each other's lives. And a lot of that was because his dad, my grandfather was not present at all. He was mm-hmm. a railroad man, excuse me. His dad was uh, was a carpenter. His grandfather was a railroad man and also very absent. And, mm-hmm. and he, you know, he told me many times in my youth, I want to raise you in a way that's very different than I was raised. I want you to know that I care about you, not just assume. And I had no clue, you know, as a 10 year old, like, what does that mean for Mm -hmm. a 10 year old kid? But looking back on it now, as I almost have a 10 year old, I'm like, crap, he really, it really let out a a framework that I need to really live up to and and work Mm -hmm. hard to live up to. Man, it's great to see the level of emotional intelligence that your father had. I mean, I've heard it said over and over again that what walks in fathers runs in sons. And it seems like that was a trend that was happening 
and your father through whatever it is that he went through the hard times and, and having a disconnected father was able to be like, you know what? It was hard. I developed that emotional intelligence and I know enough to say that, Hey, I'm going to be there for my kid and stop this. Yeah. And there was other dads, you know, that he was friends with that were kind of my second, third dad, uh, because I was friends with their sons or daughters. And mm -hmm. I talked with some of them for the book too, to say like, what was in the water in, in my mm -hmm. hometown? Like, what were you all thinking? And several of them said, you know, they saw times changing The you know, in the late seventies, early eighties, there was a lot mm -hmm. of economic strife, kind of like, you know, what we were facing now. And they saw like, it can't just be men making a change and women were stepping up in different ways. Moms were stepping up in different ways. So they kind of asked one another, okay, well, how do we step up and see ourselves as more than just going into work nine to five or, or even longer, but how are we making sure to be home and present and not in a way, be fatherless, you know, create a fatherlessness in our children, even though we're happily married, we got great mm -hmm. jobs, but if we're not there to have that dinner, you know, dinner time conversation or cheer on in the sidelines when we're playing baseball or football or whatever, then, you know, we don't have that role model. We don't have that anchor to lean on when stuff's hitting the fan, so to speak. Mm -hmm. I like, yeah, exactly. And I, I could attest to that too, because just thinking back when you're talking about the stands, right. And I'm thinking in my head, I'm like, man, I remember looking in the stands and not seeing my father when mm -hmm. I was playing, when mm -hmm. I was wrestling, when I was playing football or whatever. And my mom was always there. I mean, she was probably the only woman there with all the men there, you know what I'm saying? And she was cheering yes. us on and whatever. And, you know, I don't hold that as a grudge against my father because I know my father was going through a lot of his own personal things. You know what I mean? Yeah. And I heard something that was pretty interesting today. Um, it was in this book, Grad to Grownups, that uh, a recent guest, Gene Rice and Courtney Bedrewicks, talked about. And uh, they said that trauma that your parents give you, right? It no longer is their trauma. It's our trauma and it's up to us to decide what we're going to do because they can't fix it for us. The damage is already done, right? Right, right. But it's up to us to to stop it, right? That way we don't spread that on to our children, you know what I mean? And right. make a change just like right. your dad did and you did. So yeah, that's well, awesome. And that, and that generational trauma, you know, we see it in, in lots of different spaces, but when it's one-on-one -on -one, father down to child or mother down to child, Mm -hmm. there's ripples there like you said right and and we see it when kids turn into bullies when kids don't know how to function or relate to one another uh you know before we started recording you had talked about like you don't have a lot of friends but you know a lot of people and mm -hmm. i'm the same way I've, I've got like a core group of you know close friends from high school a couple grown-up friends i've made but as men we're not taught to necessarily make friends right we're on we're on sports teams and we're some of us are being groomed to go into the military and you, know, you need a core group of people to lean on, but you're also being taught to look at people as enemies or as combatants. And mm. when you have that mindset of people are out to compete with me and I have to out run them, out tackle them, whatever the, you know, the competition is, mm -hmm. it doesn't necessarily lean towards a, a healthy relationship. It doesn't give us the skills to say, how can I lean? How can I work with you? Right. And 
how can we find a solution together rather than be the survival of the fittest? Because if it's the if that's the end result of Darwinism, survival of the fittest, whoever wins, then you're gonna be really lonely at the top. And mm-hmm. we were not meant to be alone in this world, right? Like yeah. All these people have shown like community is stronger. And how do we then as dads, like and as my organization is named, how do mm-hmm. we father through life together and and lean on one another when we just don't know an answer? Cause I I figured out how to raise one kid within within a margin of error. And then mm-hmm. my second daughter came along and she's like, all those things you figured out from my older sister aren't going to work on me. So it's back to the drawing board. And, <laughs> and so, you know, I learned how to be a dad of two. And I talked with friends who have kids that are slightly older, giving me some pointers. And if I didn't have those neighbors, some friends, then I'd be a lot worse off than I am today. Mm, definitely. We definitely didn't get a blueprint. No. And uh, a lot of the stuff they did show us was wrong you know yeah. I, I like to glean from it because like i said i don't blame my father no more right especially after having the the empathy and the heart change towards how he was raised uh i mean I'm, my my childhood was nothing compared to his right right so after seeing that and, and having that empathy towards him and understanding him more about his upbringing it's shed a new light to where i'm like okay i can glean like what are some of the good things instead of always just focusing on the bad? Cause I know as human beings, we tend to focus on the bad, you know, because it's the way our brain is wired and not necessarily that we're attracted to bad, but when there's something bad that happened, your mind automatically goes to that and it starts triggering and making all these chemical uh, changes and stuff like that, telling you, Hey, that's bad. Stay away from it. Take right. warning, take heed. Right. Right. So with that being said, I try to focus on the good things that my dad did for me. You know what I mean? Like showing me respect, opening the doors, you know what I mean? For women, working hard, having a good work ethic, yeah. you know, and all these little things that I'm, I'm going to show my children too. And then the rest I can just, for lack of better words, shit can. <laughs> you know what I mean? Because I don't, I don't, I don't want to do that, you know, but uh, I thought it was interesting, Brian, that you said about a connected dad. Okay. What is your definition of a connected dad? Yeah, for me, it's emotional connection, spiritual connection, Mm -hmm. the human connection that we strive for in our friendships. How are we presenting that to our children? And kind of like you were saying with your dad, and he did the best he could. You know, I don't know your dad or anything. Um, My dad did the best he could. He still had his flaws because he was overcoming his dad's, you know, trauma. Mm -hmm. Uh, And... And it's not to say that every dad needs to follow every step, right? Like mine's mine is one path mm-hmm. and there are plenty of other great dads doing similar work, but vastly different work. And it's not to say that we all need to quit our jobs and be at home. We mm-hmm. all need to, we all need to kind of have our hobbies and our interests to keep us holistic and healthy. Mm-hmm. But one of the things that I learned when I was talking with different dads for this book I would ask them all, like, what did you do to prepare for fatherhood? And nine times out of 10, a dad would say, oh, I didn't really do anything. Or I I read some books and built the crib, you know, kind of bare minimum or what what we're taught to do. Right. Because moms are supposed to really know this stuff, not dads. And then I would come across these individuals who said, well, I went to therapy or 
I went and talked with my minister or my priest or my imam or whomever was their religious figure to mm -hmm. really process who am I supposed to be as a father, not just the financial provider, not just the builder of cribs and dressers and toys, but how am I supposed to work through all of my shit so that mm -hmm. I can be physically present and emotionally present to my kids? And to your point earlier, not pass down all the negative trauma. Yeah. I mean, you were going to, right? There's going to be a, at a level of hitting our threshold where we snap and yell at the kid. Yeah. But if we repair that damage and say, hey, I'm sorry, daddy shouldn't have yelled. He's going to go put himself in timeout for a minute and calm down. Then we're starting to show our kids it's okay to be angry. It's okay mm -hmm. to have bad moments, but it's not okay to leave it there. It's better that we come back and heal and, and talk through where we made mistakes so that our kids then say, okay, I'm going to have my tantrums too. Mm -hmm. But I know how to start processing, take a deep breath, recenter myself, you know, and, and come back into the family. And that's what being a connected dad is. Um, and, and in that process, too, I think on a deeper level, which I get to later in the book around allyship and advocacy is mm -hmm. knowing your kids so well, or at least as well as possible, right, that you yeah. can anticipate where their journey is going to lead them. Mm -hmm. My one daughter loves sports. She's, you know, we'll see if she makes it to the Olympics or the major leagues, but she just loves sports right now. Yeah. And how do I, with my wife, figure out how to create more opportunities for her to excel in that sport? Whereas my other daughter, she's leaning towards theater and dance. And so how do we find opportunities to feed that excitement and hobby for her rather than just forcing them both into, you know, academic disciplines that they may not have the ability to really succeed at. And so then we're just teaching them to struggle and hit a wall, but still keep struggling even when that wall is insurmountable. And so being that connected dad on that emotional level in the beginning can lead to that kind of prophetic gaze, if you will, or that like future yeah. idea of who our kids will become rather than just prescribing something to them without mm -hmm. taking their their personalities, their skills, whatever into account. And it's so important because, you know, just to just top off of what you were saying, I mean, my daughter right now, she's 16 years old and she has a super, super hard time right now with trying to figure out what she wants to do with life. I mean, she's yeah. 16 years old. She's a junior, right? Yeah. And instead of just living the days of her life and, and doing good in school and being a child, you know what I mean? She's yeah. consumed where I, I, and I guess it's my fault for joking around and always saying, you know, when you leave, you know, cause in my household growing up, it was when you became 18, you either go to the military or you're going to school, you're not staying here. Right. And I used to joke around with her. Right. So fathers, if you're listening to this, uh, just, just, be careful about the power of your words because I would say this joking around and she took it seriously. And now she has anxiety to where she is like super, super stressed out about what she's going to do. Yeah. She needs a plan, you yeah. know? So now it's kind of like I'm having to go back and fix that and be like, okay, honey, you will always have a home here. Right. You don't have to leave the home. In fact, daddy doesn't want you to leave the home. But let's figure out what your strengths are, right? Because right. not everybody's going to be a rocket science scientist, right? Right. 
not everybody's going to go to the NBA. But our goal as fathers, like you said, is to see where their strengths and weaknesses are and to try to build up on those and try to lead them down a path where they're going to, you know, they're going to, they're going to step into something that they love to do, you know, and being able to recognize that by spending time with them at an early age. Right. Yeah. Well, and it's funny, you know, as children, we think we know everything. Yeah. And, and as parents, we know our kids know next to nothing and good parents know that they also still know next to nothing despite all the years and wisdom we've collected and so Mm -hmm. i have a distinct memory in high school of being really stressed much like your daughter because i knew i wanted to go into like psychology and human services social work all of those kind of like soft skilled careers but everyone on my mom's side in my brain was an engineer Mm -hmm. and a successful business owner and so i was complaining like Ah, everywhere I'm being led to in my whole heart and my soul is away from what every other man in my extended family had done. Mm-hmm. And my parents, you know, they probably laughed a little bit, uh, but they were like, Brian, that's not true at all. Like, and started ticking off all the things that I was misinformed about. And it didn't necessarily make me feel all that much better because I still mm-hmm. had to figure out who I was going to be. And <laughs> most of what I wanted to be in life didn't pay well, but uh it still allowed me a moment to realize, oh, right. I can listen to my parents. Most of the time they do have best intentions for me if I if I calm down and listen to them. Or at least they're going to give me the tools to come up with a better solution, even if it's not exactly true. And four years later, when I was looking to graduate from college, I was looking at doing the Peace Corps and all of these like international programs. And my parents begged me to stay in the United States. Mm-hmm. And I said, okay. And I chose to move to Alaska, which technically is the United States. And so yeah. <laughs> I said, I'm going to meet you halfway. And and they kind of finally caved and said, okay, you know, you're 23 now. We we can't keep putting these strict parameters. We'll let you, we'll let you kind of fly. And, mm-hmm. and I made the argument that they can come visit and it'd be a cool vacation spot for a few years. And, uh, and it was, you know, they had a blast coming to visit me for the time mm-hmm. I lived there, but, uh, yeah, I think for for us, it's having the patience to let our kids think mm-hmm. they know everything and where possible, guide them to a understanding that we are somewhat knowing where we stand with our knowledge and information, even when they don't want to hear it. And mm-hmm. then having the patience to wait until they come around and say, oh, we get it now. Thanks. <laughs> and that may be years that may be years yeah yeah that's not like tomorrow they're gonna come back and say thank you let me be clear on that yeah one of the things that i used to absolutely hate brian was when people would yeah yeah me to death right uh-huh. um i used to have apprentices that i would tell them hey watch out with this or whatever and they'd be like yeah yeah i know i got it i got it well i absolutely hated that but now i have a teenager who does that you know and uh i had to learn Instead of getting upset, I had to really learn that when they are saying, yeah, yeah, I got it. And they're actually speaking back to you what you said to them, right? And say, yeah, I know, dad, don't do this with a car or whatever. You know what I mean? I had to look at it in a different perspective to where it's like, okay, they are really listening because she can repeat it back to me. You know what I mean? Even though it probably bugs her and she's heard it a thousand times, 
she's paying attention you know what yeah. I mean? And I was like, wow, I, I just needed to change my perspective on that. You know what I mean? Yeah. Versus no, oh, yeah, yeah. Me to death. You know yeah. what I mean? So, yeah, I had a, a bringing, you know, my daughter to bed the other night and uh, we had just watched Encanto, which is a great movie. Uh, uh-huh. it, you know, unless you watch it five days in a row, which we definitely went through that when it first came <laughs> out, but uh, we rewatched it recently and, and I, was, I forgot just how many cool life lessons are in there. And mm. I was putting my daughter to bed. And I was like, you know, sometimes I can be like the abuela and be really like, you got to listen. This is the way it is. And and she kind of was like, dad, are you going to give me a life lesson right now? Cause I'm really tired and I, I don't want a life lesson. <laughs> and I was just like, okay, we'll save it. We'll save it for another day. And, you know, for her to know me so well, to pick up my cues is speaks mm-hmm. volumes to just how mature she is at a, at the ripe old age of eight, but also is a lesson in how much my wife and I are teaching them to really be aware of other people's cues and the emotional intelligence and the, just the way people carry themselves to be mm-hmm. able to, I mean, you know, in this way, shut me down, but also when I see her interacting with her peers to be able to pick up on her peers energy and and really be a leader in her classroom or on her sports teams and in a way that just gives me good hope for her future because whatever she ends up doing with her career if you have those leadership and human people skill involvement Mm. interactions whatever you're going to go a lot farther and so many studies as you probably were like eq studies are showing like people with high eq advance so much further than any sort of intellectual uh skills that they have so mm-hmm. yeah i'm looking forward to her career advancement yeah and it's definitely who they hang around with like yeah i'll give you a prime example we came from a small town in new mexico and not to bag on that small town but it was their townies you yeah. know and never been nowhere never really went anywhere everybody grew up together got married in high school and yada yada and we were the outsiders right mm-hmm. so with that being said my daughter really never fit in and she went through the tall poppy syndrome, which if she stood out or, or rose up to be a leader or whatever, they would shut her down. They didn't want her to go and you know what I mean? To do that or hit that level. So she got really depressed and stuff like that. So we chose to move and get out of there. You know, there's other things that went on too, but um, we chose to make a change, right. As, as parents, you know, and we came back out here to California and she's thriving, dude. I mean, she went from not having any friends, speaking to animals, you know, just in the backyard, hanging out on our farm, not really talking to anybody, right? Total introvert to now she's an extrovert. She's in cheer for one of the biggest schools in Southern California. Um, They're the best public school football. I mean, when people talk about like California schools, dude, like people mm-hmm. talk about like Texas football and all that it has nothing on us, dude, at all. Centennial is like one of the major schools out here. You know what I mean? It's a, that's a public school. So she's cheering for that. She's doing all these different things because she came out of her shell. Yeah. You know, and the people she's surrounding herself with, yeah. which she's flourishing. And it's, it's absolutely amazing. It's, it's yeah. amazing, you know? And that, I mean, that's something as dads and, and, parents all parents right it's not just that yeah how do we how do we hold ourselves back from dictating who the friends should be Mm. but also empowering our kids to know who 
should be friends. And yeah, when I was, I think seventh grade, I had a group of guy friends, you know, mm-hmm. sat together at lunch, played at recess, do it, you know, hung out on the weekends. And after a while, I realized they were kind of bullies and really toxic for me. They weren't really who I w- wanted to spend time with. And mm-hmm. one day I came home and I just lost it. I started crying and my dad was like, what's wrong? And instead of being like, shut up, be a man, take it, like, boys don't cry, like all of that negative stereotypes we associate with some men, he said, tell me about it. Like, it's okay. You're he- I'm here for you, right? And he really created a safe space for me to emotionally unpack everything. Mm. And in the end, he was like, okay, well, you know how to make friends. There are other boys. There are other girls. You can make more friends. Let's mm-hmm. let's start identifying other people you can be friends with. And he gave me the confidence, and and the encouragement. Really, not mm-hmm. so much confidence that came later, right? But to the next day, I was like, all right, I'm just gonna sit at another table at lunch and see what happens. And I was scared shitless. Like I was like, mm-hmm. am I gonna take somebody else's quote unquote assigned seat? Because you know everybody has their spot they sit in and. Yeah. And no one kicked me out. The new guys were like, okay, Brian's going to sit here now. Right. And and that made all the difference, you know, and actually four or five months ago, I had a high school uh, kind of reunion with a bunch of my, my buddies and kind of a guy's weekend to reconnect. And one of the guys in this group never left that toxic group. He, he didn't leave. And Mm -hmm. Later, obviously, he did, and we reconnected or whatever. But on this weekend, he admitted to me mm-hmm. that he had so much respect that I was able to walk away, even though he never did. And I I had no clue, right? This was like 30 years later. Yeah. He's telling me this. And I was just like, man, the stuff we carry, right? The weight of our childhood still carries with us, you know, 30 years later. And, and it, that kind of reminded me... Mm-hmm. to be very uh, paying so much attention to my girls what are those things that they're going to remember in 20 30 years that could be really uplifting and powerful or mm-hmm. weighing them down with grief and anxiety and again being a connected dad is how do we help them process it mm-hmm. how do we stay out of the way just enough to let them fail in a healthy way because you always got to fail to grow but but not so much that they're going to have hospital visit after hospital visit or, or even worse. Right. Let's not go there, but far mm-hmm. worse things could happen to our kids. So how do we create a safe environment for them to fail and, and fall upward, so to speak? Man, I love that picture that you painted um, and brought back memories of my childhood. Um, I was stabbed when I was 13 or 14 years old by a 22 year old man. Right. And in mm-hmm. uh, high school campus. And uh, needless to say, I carry that for a long time, right? The guy went to prison and everything else. Well, about 10 years ago, 10 or 12 years ago, maybe even longer, he wrote me a letter that my younger brother, his friend was in prison with, right? Mm. And he gave me that letter. He's like, hey, man, Pat gave you a letter. Here you go. Boom, whatever. So I read this letter, okay? And... um it was amazing to see what he said. He's like, man, ever, you know, just to kind of paraphrase, he's like, man, ever since that day, my life's been living hell. And I'm sure it's been the same thing for you. And if you could ever find it within yourself to forgive me, I didn't mean for that to happen, you know? Yeah. And it was, you know, I forgave the guy, you know, 
but like you're saying that trauma that we carry that spawns from that age, you know, I didn't trust anybody, yeah. you know, and then I brought those issues into my marriage. Yeah. You know, I don't want to be close to anybody because I mean, gosh, darn dude, the whole town literally turned against me because, Oh, you're a rat. That guy went to prison because of you. Yeah. You know, and it was awful, dude. I was fighting and everything almost every single day. I had a gun pulled out on me with my mom. Some guy put a gun in my face because I was going to beat him up. You know what I'm saying? So it was traumatic, needless to say. But those things that we carry, it's our job as fathers to be there for them. You know what I mean? Like you talk about and I talk about you're more than just a paycheck, right? So it's important, you know, our roles are important in our families to be there for them. You know, what other type of uh, uh, important roles do fathers play that you can touch base on that you've seen that people don't even realize? Yeah, I think the other piece that I talk about a little bit in the book is just recognizing like we're on a journey of discovery. We're constantly learning. And Mm -hmm. how do we how do we see ourselves and our kids learning? Mm. Uh, you know, kind of cliche, but my daughter, when she was six months old, first time she didn't see snow on the ground. She was mm-hmm. a winter baby, hard, long winter when she was born. So she was close to six months old when we finally had, you know, grass in the backyard that we could go actually play and it wasn't soggy and gross. And, uh, you know, in Chicago, where I'm based, we have a lot of hard winters. So She's six months old. I take her out and my wife's got her camera and we, we kind of put her down in the yard without shoes on. And she looks around, looks at her feet, looks really confused. And then she just starts crying. She starts wailing in like fear. She's like picking her feet up. She's trying to crawl back into my arms mm-hmm. and we laugh. We take some pictures and, and then I'm realizing like, this looks really funny from the outside, but She's never experienced. This is a completely new sensation for her grass. Mm-hmm. on her feet. She's used to carpet. Right. And, yeah. and then I started feeling really guilty and bad and, and mm-hmm. kind of shameful. And uh, I'm sure, you know, I've, I've told this story before and lots of dads are like, oh yeah, we've done that too. And now I feel mm-hmm. bad. Thanks for making me feel bad. But, <laughs> um, but beyond that, like, you know, first day of school, first anything, uh-huh. We always just take for granted, like, oh, this is the first time. Cool. And we say this so flippantly, but when we really take a moment to think about it, it's profound, right? Yeah. We are creating opportunities for our kids to create new neural synapses, creating mm-hmm. new perspectives and understandings of the world. And we can either write it off as like, just get over it. It's it's your first day of school. Who cares? Or just get over it. You scraped your knee. It's not the end of the world, but maybe it is, right? Like, if I cut my skin and I see myself bleeding and I've never cut my skin before, what is this red stuff? <laughs> what is this pain I'm experiencing? And if we write it off as no big deal, then then we're trivializing the emotion they're going through. And mm. no one likes that, right? We want to feel acknowledgement. We want to feel validated in what we're experiencing. Even if it's wrong, even if it's overblown, we can talk about it in a really flippant, mean-spirited way. Or we can acknowledge, okay, this is really traumatic, but it's not the worst thing that will ever happen to you. Here's how we can contextualize what you're going through and really helping our kids understand that. Mm. Um, The other piece, though, is also to like relish what our kids do. And I love Lego. I kept all my Lego bricks from my childhood in a box Mm. at my parents' house. And then when when my wife and I bought our home, my parents were like, get this stuff out of here. Like, we're done (laughs) carrying your crap. Uh, But then my kids came along and I'm like, all right, let's, let's bust out the Legos. And they were like, eh, 
we want to play this other toy or we want to do this other thing. And I was like, heartbroken a little bit. And I'm like, they'll come around. I'll play with their other toys first. And, and showing them like, I enjoy playing with the doll or playing house or whatever. Mm-hmm. Uh, some days I, I don't, let's be honest. Right. There's not every day we're going to love playing kid toys, but yeah. Showing that we're willing to get on the ground with them and experience the life that they want to live through their eyes builds again that emotional trust Mm. down the road for when bigger issues arise and so yeah creating that kind of learning mindset of willing to kind of not be an old dog that will never learn a new trick again but kind of relearning and reimagining and re-experiencing life is so critical as a dad and if we're working too many long hours we'll miss those opportunities for the yes Op, you know the yes moment where we can say yes to our child's request and really be it and be present to them and i like that um that's something i'm dealing with now um for the longest time my daughter ever since she was young she always would ask dad dad what about this or she'll change the radio station and she wanted me to hear her radio and i'd get bugged you know i'll be honest if i'm yeah. being honest right now i would get upset and i'd be like no i don't want to hear that you know yeah and it wasn't until my wife pointed it out she's like man it's not necessarily that you're telling her that you don't want to hear her music she's taking that children have a tendency of personalizing everything right and she started personalizing it to where she thought okay my dad doesn't like my music he doesn't like me yeah and that's so detrimental and kids do that i mean whether it be you know tell your kid you'd rather watch football or you know what i mean and not caring that he wants to skateboard or whatever you know what i'm saying it's that validation like you talked about they need that and it builds that emotional trust yeah oh that's amazing yeah i mean and it's it's stuff that in some ways we understand instinctively and in Mm -hmm. other ways it's like totally what's that old way of thinking the old way of thinking yeah you know yeah and you know like I don't know, like, if your parents were this way, but, you know, I have a memory of my dad spanking me when I was around one year old and, mm. or not one, I don't know, young. And I, I brought it up to my parents and they they were like, you remember that? And apparently what it, I, I was hmm. like hammering, you know, something, a nail, like a wooden peg into something and it wouldn't work. And I said, damn it. And my dad swatted me on the butt. He's like, you don't say that. And then I don't remember this part, but apparently what I said back was, but you do. And my mom like burst out laughing and, and I kind of put my dad in his place and sure enough, you know, life is all cyclical and I'm driving with my daughter. She's like four ish five and we get stuck in traffic. Hmm. And from the back seat, I hear her say, dad, do you want to say, damn it? And I was like, what? And she goes, well, when you get frustrated in the car, you say, damn it a lot. So I'm just letting you know, you can say that if you want to. And I was like, oh no, I like, that didn't correct my behavior. I'm I'm too far gone with my potty mouth. Right. But I, I was just like, okay, I've, I've turned into my dad yet again, another example of me becoming, you know, my dad, but, um, Again, kids pick up on everything. And oh, dude, they do. They will replicate things that they don't even comprehend as good or bad because it's just their reality. And mm-hmm. and when we 
create those kind of opportunities, good and bad, uh, you know, the the corporal punishment or just the loving, caring time out, like let's let's process this, that's gonna, you know, carry forward, even if we don't fully remember the situation or the scenario, we'll have that kind of like emotional imprint that we won't quite be able to place, but it's still there. And we gotta correct that. Or mm. not necessarily correct it, but we gotta be as best as we can be mindful of that when we engage with our families no for sure and it's crazy because you know just getting back to talking about how we as fathers right we tend to go back to what we were taught yeah we know what we do yeah yeah it's crazy you know just to even think like you know just seeing with my children you know when they say a bad word or whatever it's like oops <laughs> you right. know what i mean they, right. they they got that from me you know what yeah. i mean it's like oh man because they do they they watch you you know that's one of the things i always tell everybody on social media and stuff is be careful man because they watch you they watch everything you do if you're you know cussing out a police officer or whatever what do you think they're going to grow up and do you know yeah. they're going to start thinking police officers are the enemy right right um i saw this video on I don't know if it was on like Instagram or TikTok or whatever, but uh, it was these these uh, African American kids, right? And they are cussing out the cops, you know, throwing them fingers, ta- calling them, you know, bad language and stuff like that. And I'm like, and then the parents that are standing around were encouraging it. And it's like, my gosh, you know what I mean? How far have we fallen to where a parent doesn't step in and be like, you know what? I may feel something about this cop but you aren't going to talk to him like that. You need to have respect for your elders. Cause that's, that's one thing I don't really see anymore is that respect for elders, respect for people, nothing, you know, it's it. And I attribute that to the lack of the father being there, being present to show him, you know? Yeah. I mean, cops is a whole thorny mess yeah. situation, but, but I think it's true. Like, and it's not just a dad too, right? Like, kids need multiple perspectives on how to handle a situation and and yeah. i think there's so many great studies that show like dads are a little rougher in their play with kids and that's okay because they yeah. need to learn to be a, a little bit rougher but they also need softer side and a lot more get that from the mom but but there are plenty of situations where you know i talk with stay-at-home dads and mm-hmm. their partners are successful lawyers or doctors executive chefs and the dad chooses to be the stay-at-home parent or the the couple decides they'll get dad's going to be the stay-at-home parent because for whatever the situation it makes more sense for that family and Mm -hmm. when we allow for that imagination and that reorientation to occur great things can happen and Mm -hmm. to your point like i've had many people say to me like well i turned out okay and i was spanked or i had this happen to me and i'm like okay sure you turned out okay but how many people didn't right and Mm -hmm. and how many people didn't have to go through the pain or the the trauma capital t big capital t or or small of of Mm -hmm. what you might have experienced and and i think that's the piece that we get caught up on is like we accept the reality we live in instead of dreaming a little bit better and thinking Mm -hmm. of a better way for all of us to go through life and when we just chalk it up to well it's good enough right like that's what always irks me to be like no like I'm not going to be okay with the fact that there's sexual violence statistics towards women 
that my children are going to have to grow up and face. I would rather say, you know what? I don't want my kids to be a statistic. Mm-hmm. I want to work to create a better, safer space for all girls and women rather than just saying, oh, good luck, right? Like go yeah. to college. You got a pretty good chance statistically of getting assaulted, but that's just the way it is, right? Like, mm-hmm. no, that's not the kind of dad I want to be. I, I'm assuming yeah. that's not the kind of dad you're going to be based on our conversations. And yeah. Most dads don't have that mentality. And yet we just kind of become complacent and just say like, well, I'm not going to be able to affect positive change in myself or my community. So I'm just going to just do what I need to do to get by. And Mm. with fathering together, you know, we came a long way to get there, but ultimately we said, you know what, we want our mission to to help dads create positive change in themselves and their families and their communities, because it's for our children. Much like you said, like, yeah, we want dads to be healthier, but ultimately we want kids and partners to be healthier too. And mm-hmm. that's a role of fatherhood that we sometimes forget about when it comes to that protector, that that servant leader role that so many dads fulfill, even if they don't name it that way, is mm-hmm. how are we creating a better world through our actions, through the, the community initiatives, through the the church food drive, you know, mm-hmm. clothing drives and all the other kind of stuff that we do that is positively associated with men and fatherhood rather than, you know, a lot of the negative stuff that gets, gets yeah. in the media or in, in the larger narrative out there, which is there. I'm not going to say it's yeah. not, but there's so many more positive things that we can be talking about that men do and fathers do that we would just forget about because it's not sexy or it's not going to sell a paper mm-hmm. or whatever. Right. So. Why do you think there is that stereotype? Cause I've, I've talked to several fathers out there and, you know, we all came to the same conclusion that, man, it's it's almost like a and this is what I've come up with. It's a war on the family and our children are the collateral, mm-hmm. you know, and like you said, fathers have become complacent because of the media, because of whatever. They want to be lazy. They think they're good enough. It looks good for my house, whatever. You know what I mean? But it's it's definitely starting to we're definitely starting to see the effects in society of that and i will say there are plenty of dads that are not being lazy i don't want to like paint a broad brush yeah i'm meeting so many dads that are you know joining fatherhood insider that we run Mm -hmm. and together or or reach out to me when they see a post or something Mm -hmm. i've said that that are like no 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 i i agree with you here's what i do or you know you've got all these little citywide initiatives or school-based mm-hmm. initiatives of dads that are like stepping up and caring not just for their kids but all sorts of kids in their neighborhood and yeah. i think i think it's it's just something that's so well there's two pieces one there's the systematic excuse me the systemic issue of well we just assume moms are going to be the stay-at-home mom so the mm-hmm. schools and the doctor's offices call the mom first even if a dad is the primary listed parent and then they act surprised. And so, and and I literally had a dad say, I've had three different school nurses call me expecting to get my wife and all of them had to take a minute when I answered the phone and it mm. gets him upset all the time. But his wife is a flight attendant. Her schedule is all over the place. So he's yeah. the most likely one to go to the doctor or the nurse's station or whatever. So there's this like expectation that we've fallen into as systematically thinking moms are the go-to parent, mm-hmm. which then has the effect of dad saying, okay, well, I have to work 
and make the money. So I'm just going to let the mom run the space. Mm -hmm. But if I want to be that person, my wife isn't going to make as much money in the same job as I am because statistically on average, women make a little bit less than men. Uh, Not all women, but some. And so then there's this reinforcement of like, well, then I have to keep working because I'm going to make more for my family than my wife is. So I'm just going to keep thinking this way, even if in my heart of hearts, I'm supposed to be a stay-at-home parent or I might have better social emotional skills than my partner. So I should be the stay-at-home parent that my kids can go to. And and again, it's this meta-narrative that it's just easy to keep the boxes in place and let the dad be the breadwinner, the paycheck, and the mom be the homemaker and the emotional person. Yet, I will say my mom's dad cried at everything. And my mom's mom didn't mm-hmm. cry at all. She was a very stoic, stereotypical Eastern European Slavic, like you never show emotion, you just grin and bear it. And my grandfather was just this emotional train wreck. Anytime, you know, he saw a butterfly flap its wings. He's like, oh my God, I love it. Right. Mm-hmm. And I got more of that, unfortunately, but it's just easier. It's more convenient. And, and yet around father's day is when the media says, Hey, let's have some fun. Let's, let's highlight all the positive ways dads contribute instead. And, mm-hmm. and it's a tragedy, right? It, it keeps us all in these places of, uh, not being able to move and not being able to imagine mm-hmm. a better life for ourselves. No, and I totally see that. I had a, a, a friend of mine that I grew up with. Um, you know, he was in the military and his career changed, right? Um, he was doing well, uh, printing up shirts and banners and stuff like that for the military. Well, needless to say, stock market went down. 2008 happened or 2006, wherever it was, what year it was. Um, all that stuff happened. And he lost his home and he had to move back home, okay, with his wife back to their hometown. And um, his wife immediately took up the role of providing mm-hmm. immediately because the guy, I mean, he got out of the military. He was depressed. I mean, he probably didn't even know he was depressed. And the guy really didn't want to do anything. He had just lost his business. His identity was wrapped up in that business. And sure. he really didn't want to do anything. So that put the role on the wife who that was really never hers to to carry that weight, but she did. She stepped up. She had to, yeah. right? Um, her career advanced and everything. And what happened is he, because of the narrative, like you're talking about thinking, I have to be the one providing. Why is my wife working all this stuff? He grew very bitter towards her, very jealous towards her, jealous of her success. She started moving up through the ranks. I mean, to yeah. eventually she became a partner at this one place. Right. And he was just not happy with it. Not happy with himself. Um, All kinds of things that were going on with him. Right. And they wound up getting a divorce that drove a wedge between them, you know, that separation. And uh, it's tragic all because of a narrative that says, you know, a man has to go and do this or do this or do this. Right. And like, just to touch base with what you're saying, you know, sometimes, there's women out there that aren't made to be at home. Yeah. They have careers. They, they, they're, they're career driven. And then there's guys like you said, who would love to be at home. I mean, this guy was a great dad in the sense that he wanted to travel and show his kids all kinds of stuff. Right. Yeah. He was always the play dad, you know, cause he right. didn't have that growing up. He didn't have a dad. Yeah. You know, and it was, if he would have just 
understood that, hey, you know, this is my role. This is my lot in life. This is what I'm going to do. And I'm going to be the best at it. They might have been together. That family may have still been complete, you know? Yeah. It's crazy. Well, and everything. Sorry. Yes. Sorry. I cut you off. But everything has a season too, right? And yeah. that's not like, obviously, if you get to partner status in some sort of firm, that's a major commitment and, and a successful endeavor. But yeah. it's not, you know, his kids are going to get older. He's not going to stay at home when exactly. they're in school. And, and so there's other ways to imagine ourselves. And I think that's like, not not to paint broad brush strokes again but you know back in you know 2008 when everything kind of bellied up and again mm -hmm. in like like six seven years ago when a lot of the tech industry was moving into small towns where mm -hmm. traditionally been you know mining towns and steelworking towns like things evolve and change and if we don't as a society help everyone reimagine their careers reimagine their sense of self-worth then we're going to have scenarios like this where men get trapped in this cycle of, well, I'm supposed to be X. And since I can't be it, F everything. And I think one passage, I know you're a, a Christian viral man. Like there's a mm. great story of a, of a young, wealthy, you know, like a Lord or something goes up to Jesus and he's like, I want to follow you. And Jesus is like, great, mm -hmm. let go of everything and you can follow me. And he can't mm -hmm. do it. Right. This young man is like, I can't give up my wealth. Yeah, But I, as I've been doing this fatherhood work, I started really reflecting on that passage as well from mm -hmm. a different perspective of it's not necessarily giving up your wealth. It's are you willing to give up your job? Are you willing to give up the toxic relationships you have, the the things you do that you think give you joy and yet really drain you, right? And mm -hmm. um, those are the things that I think Jesus was also speaking to, to that young person. And yeah. so for us, you know, I, I left a job a year and a half ago because it was killing me and I wasn't happy in it. And mm -hmm. I was trying to get fathering together off the ground. I was overworking myself. My kids were picking up on my negative energy. And so I said, you know what, I'm going to take a year and make fathering together work one way or the other. And in some ways it, it, exceeded all my expectations and other ways it didn't right it's a nonprofit, so ultimately it's not paying my bills in the way that you know corporate life or some other way exists and so i had to shift again and it took me several months like your friend i was pretty depressed i was struggling like no mm -hmm. this is was supposed to be my swan song my crescendo the thing i was going to do forever and the more i reflected on it the more i realized i wasn't happy though the mm -hmm. things that I needed to do to make successful were not the skills that I had, were not the things that were going to make me happy. And so mm -hmm. I had to shift. And I went through several months of trying to find new work, trying to make meaning of who I was. And thankfully, I'm now in a place that I can speak very positively about it all, but it wasn't easy. And to your friend or to the guy you're talking about, like, yeah, I, I wish mm -hmm. he would have reached out to me or somebody to say, there's another another perspective here, uh, mm -hmm. whether it's a therapy session formally or just an informal dad chat over beer at a bar, right? Like find that community, right? Coming back to community, find somebody to confide in to say, hey, mm -hmm. I'm struggling here. Give me a lifeline or give me a perspective to mm -hmm. kind of help you see the silver lining or the alternate perspective that we aren't seeing. Because if you mm -hmm. can find that person, maybe that person is, you know, your friend would stay married or, or 
maybe I would have come to that realization a little sooner yeah. for myself, but we all have to go through seasons of life and, mm -hmm. and in a way do it as best we can for the sake of our children. Again, it comes back to our kids and what are we role modeling for them? What are we creating for them? Life lessons and pathways for their own success later on. No, for sure. We definitely are showing them how to handle their emotions with everything we do. Um, like I said, they watch us. With that being said, we talked a lot about work and everything like that. A lot of the questions I get, Brian, are based around work balance. Yeah. What do you think about that, brother? You know, I had a friend of mine who told me he doesn't talk about work-life balance. He talks about work-life harmony. Mm. And I love that phrase because it's yes. more it's more honest. It's more real. Uh, no no job will ever be 50-50 between your work and your life. The, you know, mm -hmm. whether you love your job and you pour yourself into it or you hate it, there's going to be days where you have to devote more time to your work. Maybe you do event planning and that mm -hmm. weekend you're just going to have to pull three 24-hour days to make the event successful. But then the following weekend, you take off and you just stay at home and be present, right? Like mm -hmm. I used to work in, in ministry in university settings. And I just knew there were certain times of the academic year where I was going to have to put in long days. But I also knew by the summer, I was going to have more time off to be present to my kids. And, and how did I look more at a higher level of what balance looked like? Mm -hmm. But now I think about it as work-life harmony. And how can I do the best that I can to find a job that fulfills my interests and my passions, but also that I can provide my skills to make that job or that initiative stronger and better rather than, you know, I'm sure I would be fine getting mm -hmm. through the day as a Starbucks barista. I know I could figure out how to make coffee, but nobody really wants me there because I'm not doing what I do best. I'm not helping mm -hmm. my community advance and I'm taking a job from somebody else who would really thrive in that extroverted space. The older I get, the less extroverted I become, mm -hmm. even though I can pretend really well. And so how do I find work that will bring harmony to the interests that I have, but also create spaces for me to be the dad I need to be for my kids and not bring that negative stress mm -hmm. into the home any more than I'm going to, because it's going to happen. There's going to, it's yeah. going to sneak in, but how do you find ways to use your drive home or your commute on the bus to process all the stuff you needed to? So when you show up and walk in the door, mm -hmm. your kids see a happy, healthy, maybe not happy, but a healthy individual, a semi-balanced individual who's going to meet their energy rather than walk into a kid who's banging on pots and pans or running around screaming in joy and you snap because you didn't fully process the bad conversation you had with your boss or the negative interaction you had with a customer. Cause then that's going to, again, infuse this, the joy that may be in your home with trauma mm -hmm. rather than you elevating that joy and jumping in with your own pot and pan or that creative spark to a Lego build or domino create, you know, any number of things that your kids are going to want to do with you. Um, mm -hmm. And so, yeah, so I would say it's work-life harmony way more than balance. And how are you finding the balance, so to speak, in the skills you have versus the skills, or not the skills, but the skills you have with the needs of the world around you and 
not all of us are going to find that every day. You know, like mm -hmm. I, I get it. Some of us have to work awful jobs that we don't want to be in and we do it for our kids, right? Like that Simpsons episode where Homer does it for Maggie going back yeah. to working the power plant. But how can you still find meaning? How can you find moments of joy, even in the toughest moments of your job, so that you can be the best dad for your kids and, and step into that? emotional connection that they need in you um yeah it's not easy i fully know mm. it and sometimes like i'm sure some of you all that might be listening are like it's easy for brian to say and it's true in this point in my life it is easy for me to say but mm -hmm. i've had meltdowns i've had roommates that were scared for my life because i was overworking myself to the point of exhaustion and i was just angry all the time and it took a lot of therapy, a lot of mm -hmm. spiritual healing to get to a better place in my life now, mm -hmm. to the point where I don't want to be that guy again. And so if I get to a point where I feel that coming up, I start mm -hmm. looking for another job or I start looking for another way to commit myself in my children's lives as a volunteer at my mm -hmm. church, at you know an after school program, so that even if I have a shitty day, I know that there's a, a light in one part of my day that will outshine all that shit mm, i like that i like that um just to add to that i found like for me with work-life balance and stuff like that is having boundaries yeah you know yeah, of course you've got to have those yeah and you know? and to say a quick note on that like if you're in a position of authority in your workplace mm -hmm. speaking about those boundaries so that your team sees that you are committed to your children and that it's okay that you leave at four o'clock, right? One day of the week. So you can be a little league coach or you can get to church to run a youth group or a youth program to be with your kids and, and letting it be known in your workplace environment that that's the expectation for everyone mm -hmm. that, and even if you don't have kids, if you want to do a volunteer shift at a hospital or at a food bank, like take an hour off to be a human being rather than just an employee, um, it's so critical to have those boundaries known and be welcomed and appreciated because studies show that if you, if you de-stress your home life, your non-workspace, mm -hmm. you're going to be a better employee. You're going to not come to work with the stress of your home just as much as you're not going to go home with the stress of work. And so to have mm -hmm. those boundaries and to have those kind of processing moments in between each Mm -hmm. is, is so critical so yeah I, i'm glad you brought that up because yeah boundaries are critical for that absolutely well once again brian thank you so much for coming on here and just sharing your time with us and just all this valuable information i know our listeners are going to be super stoked to get it um how can people reach out to you can you let them know yeah, fatheringtogether.org is our website we have all of our social media channels listed there in our online communities Anyone is welcome, whether you're a biological father, stepfather, a grandfather who's stepping back into the, you know, the paternal role. We welcome anyone who identifies as a dad. And so we want your experiences to help inform all of us. So yeah, following us at fatheringtogether.org and all your social media channels therein. Thanks everybody for listening to me. <laughs> right on, Brian. Yeah. Thank you so much, brother, for coming on. And uh, I know our listeners are going to get a tremendous amount of value out of this. Once again, thank you. Yeah, thank you.